G'day mate, welcome along to episode 36 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. It is so good to have you here. Today we are talking about bumblebees and thoroughbred racehorses, more on that later. EPC coach Nick Taylor jumps into everything about protein. And then finally I talk about tapering. How to arrive on the start line both fit and most importantly fresh and ready to rumble. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Mate, it's good to have you here for episode 36 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. I hope your week is off to a good start and your training towards your goals, whatever they may be, is going well. Now, if you follow Exponential Performance Coaching on Facebook, you may have seen that Jan Taylor, the athlete we had on the podcast in episode 10, recently completed... A marathon down in Antarctica and for Jan if you have listened to episode 10 you will remember Jan she went from being 138 kilos she lost 63 kilos and started running ultra marathons now two years ago Jan went down to Antarctica for her final marathon for the seven marathons on seven continents challenge it's a little challenge people do to run marathons around the world one in every single continent with antarctica often being people's last one so two years ago jan went down to antarctica or antarctica depending on where you're listening northern or southern hemisphere she went down to antarctica went to run this marathon she got halfway through and they got pulled out because the weather came in and they had to get their zodiac inflatable boats back to the main ship that they were on uh, because the sea was getting too rough as it turned out the waves were too big and they weren't even meant to have the zodiacs out in those waves and it was a very very rough trip back to the main ship Um, the the athletes got pulled out of the bottom of the zodiacs frozen cold uh, and took them ages and ages to warm up on the ship so unfortunately Jan did not reach her goal of her seventh marathon to to complete that challenge so two years later she was back down there just last weekend for another attempt this time they flew in uh, by plane obviously and they stayed down on the ice overnight ran in the morning stayed another night and then flew out the next day well it is worth absolute pleasure to inform you that Jan completed the marathon it was in horrendous conditions or probably what a classic Antarctic conditions of 40 mile an hour winds and snow and hail all the good stuff that comes with running down at the extremes of the earth and she she completed it so well done Jan extremely proud it's been an amazing journey um, helping her along the way to lots of different marathons around the world including Marathon de Sables which was last year and that's what her interview in episode 10 is all about her epic effort 
during that ultra marathon stage race. And what I wanted to kick this podcast off with, following on from that note, is a little bit of a talk about bumblebees and race horses. And I know that sounds a bit strange, uh, and how that relates to Jan will hopefully become evident in a little bit. But there's a little bit of a story out there and how true it is i'm not exactly sure well i am actually sure apparently it's not very true at all but it's a whoever let the truth get in the way of a good story but the story goes that scientists investigated bumblebees and they shouldn't according to aerophysics they shouldn't be able to fly the surface area of their wings and the size and weight of their bodies far outweigh each other and it should be impossible for bumblebees to fly. And depending on what story you read out there, it even goes as far as that NASA investigated bumblebees. So even with all this scientific evidence, scientific evidence stacked against the bumblebee about they should not be able to do something, they still go out and fly. It's almost lucky that no one told the bumblebee that they shouldn't be able to fly because they go out there and do it anyway. And then you look at racehorses, which are so physiologically gifted, massive hearts, big blood volumes, amazing muscular capacity. And these are thoroughbred racehorses trained to do one thing and one thing only, and that is race at the top end of their capacity as hard as they can every time they put their feet on the start line and I think this bumblebee and racehorse analogy really marries up well in terms of different types of athletes there are people out there that just have these big goals in mind and probably shouldn't be able to do the things that they do you just have to look at Jan Taylor who lost 63 kilos, she couldn't even walk to the end of her driveway to check the mail, but yet she's just gone and run seven marathons on seven continents around the world, including Antarctica, and was part of one of the hardest races on earth, Marathon de Sables. It's a good thing no one told the bumblebee that they couldn't fly, it's a good thing no one told Jan that she couldn't go and do this. In actual fact, a lot of people told Jan that she wouldn't be able to do this. A lot of people have laughed at her, and I'm sure she won't mind me sharing this. But Jan went through a lot of negative comments uh, about her to her, which is just disgusting. But still, she went out and lined up next to not only other bumblebees, but thoroughbred racehorses at these races. And she got on with it and did the job. And I think that makes it even more inspiring for what she has done. And Jan, it has been an absolute pleasure working with you in everything that you do. And you approach it in such a professional manner and the results speak for themselves. I'm very, very impressed. So, are you a bumblebee? Should you not physically be able to fly or do what you do, but you just get on and through hard work and determination, you can do it? Or are you a thoroughbred racehorse? It doesn't mean that you're, you work any less hard. 
that you don't push as much in training and in racing, but you go out there and you race to your limit. You push the physiological boundaries to their absolute limit. So I definitely think there's that difference between bumblebees and thoroughbreds, and I see it every day with the athletes that I meet. Which one's better? No specific one is any better than the other. It is just what it is. But if you are a bumblebee, keep going. Keep defying the odds. Keep smashing it. Ride those hills. Run those marathons. Do the shit that people say you shouldn't be able to do. And those thoroughbreds, keep pushing those limits. Keep pushing yourself beyond what you're capable of. Keep exploiting that physiology. Dig a little deeper, push a little harder. So yeah, I actually did look into that whole bumblebee not being able to fly thing. And apparently it dates back to, I don't know, quite a long time ago when some engineer did a rough calculation on the back of a napkin apparently about a bumblebee's weight and size and then the surface area of their wing assuming that their wings are rigid and don't move. So a bumblebee shouldn't be able to glide, which they cannot do. But bumblebees can fly due to the lift generated in their beating wings. So a little bit of a spoiler alert for the story, but oh well, I like the story nonetheless because when those fuzzy little bumblebees are buzzing around banging into the windows, you do often wonder how they're able to fly. And to be honest, they can't fly very well. So if you're a bumblebee, keep getting on with it. So, with that behind us, we are going to jump in to Nick Taylor's nutrition segment for today, where he is going to talk about all things protein. Enjoy. G'day team, how are you going? Nick here, and... Wanting to dive straight into it today, looking at protein. Now last week we took a wee look at the different breakdowns of nutrition in terms of our macronutrients from carbohydrates, fats and proteins. And I mentioned I wanted to dive further into protein because it's one of the macronutrients I see endurance athletes especially are getting wrong. Um, and when I say getting wrong, I just mean they're under eating and it can have quite a significant performance enhancement if you if you get it right uh, and also from a, a body composition and just a, a general health and well-being perspective. Very quickly before I get into that though one thing I missed out last week was how we talk about a prescribed level of macronutrient so when you might have looked into online articles magazines etc you might have seen recommendations for macronutrients expressed as a, a gram amount per kg of body weight per day. So when we're going through today, and I'm, and I'm talking about different prescribed amounts of protein, I'll be referring to as various amounts of grams per kg of body weight per day. So let's say it was one gram uh, for an 80 kg athlete, that would be 80 grams of total protein per day. So just to quickly recap, proteins are used in our body for connective tissue, so essentially our whole body is held together with proteins. 
different hormones in our body are made out of proteins. Our immune system is helped out by proteins and they can also provide us uh, with energy. Now proteins can be broken down even smaller into what we call amino acids. So throughout the body there are various amounts of different protein structures. So our connective tissue ones differ to our hormonal ones etc. And each of those protein structures is a, made up of a number of different subunits of amino acids. To simply put that, the, if you look at the word protein and you think about each individual letter being an amino acid, so you've got a P, an R, an O, so forth, they all come together to form the word protein, but individually they could be pulled apart and put back into what we call in our body the amino acid pool and then used to make a different structure. So a different structure might have a P, a T, a G, and so forth. So it tends to be when we eat a form of protein, let's say chicken, it is broken down in the body into amino acids which enter the pool, and therefore they are used to make different structures when needed around the body. And in some extreme cases where we are eating very, what we'd call cal calorically deficient diets, so we're severely under-eating, and our body isn't getting the amount of uh, energy we need, our body will break down muscle back into these amino acids and then they can be used in the body just like some sugars would be, so like a glucose. And that can be an issue that some people face, especially in the, the bodybuilding world, uh, where they're eating a significantly high protein diet and that protein diet is too high for what they need, uh, the body will use those some of those amino acids like the sugars and they tend to put on weight. So if you've ever seen some of these guys that, or girls, I shouldn't be so sexist, uh, that spend a lot of time at the gym and they're quite muscular, but they also seem, have they got a bit of a, a body sort of stomach fat on them? Uh, they tend to be ones that have been eating too high protein diets. Now, where the, the low or the under eating of protein comes from endurance athletes, I find the, the recommended daily amounts uh, on a lot of sport websites is around about 0.8 grams per kg of body weight per day. Now that is quite significantly low. Uh, when we're looking at a, a strength athlete, so someone that is competing in uh, powerlifting or a weightlifting type of events, they tend to need between 1.4 and 2.2 grams per kg. Um, and the endurance athlete now um, through some of the research they're starting to show can sort of use between 1.2 and 2 grams per kg per day, uh, which is quite a lot higher than 0.8. Now, you might be thinking 1.2 to 2 grams is quite a, a large spread, um, and it's going to depend individually, uh, but also what sort of training you're doing on a, on a weekly basis. So you might be in more of a strength phase, in which case you're going to use a little bit higher uh, levels of protein. Uh, and also you might also be in a high volume stage. So doing you know 15 20 hours of, of endurance exercise a week which can be very what we call catabolic on the body uh, which is putting the body into a state where it's breaking muscle down or breaking uh, breaking structures down where protein can kind of help keep it in an anabolic or a building uh, stage so if we think about what proteins are used for in the body when we have a, a an adequate amount of protein going in they can be really beneficial for helping us recover from exercise they can help us increase our, our lean muscle mass. Uh, and they can also help with keeping our joints in good health. Obviously, it keeps our immune system going. And like I said, if we do ever need it, 
we can use it as an energy source. One area where a lot of people are familiar with using protein is post-exercise. Uh, and the, probably the, the interesting paradox to this is I find a lot of endurance athletes under-eat their daily amount of protein, but they potentially overeat protein uh, post-training. So if you have done a, a 90 to 90 minute to three hour training session, you might be looking at around 0.5 grams per kg of body weight of protein that needs to go in and, or as close to the end of that session as possible. Uh, whereas you might be looking at about the same, if not two times the amount of carbohydrate. So let's say you've, you're an 80 kg male, you're gonna use 0.5 grams per kg per body weight of protein, so 40-ish grams of protein, but you might even go for, for 75 to 80 grams of carbs to, to replenish your muscle glycogen. Because we have, have that amino acid pool sitting there, like I talked about, it's not as essential to, to top up as it, with huge amounts following training. Uh, the only time it becomes paramount to nail that post-training nutrition number is if you're training again later that day, or you might be in a, a series of different events throughout a day where you kind of need to replenish and go again. Um, otherwise, it's more of a, a daily and a weekly accumulation effect. So you don't want to be overeating or undereating uh, on a daily, weekly basis. But within throughout the day, as long as you're getting in your, your total amounts, um, then that's most of the time going to be okay. So although I gave you the range of, of 1.2 to 2 grams, I tend to, to suggest most of the time a good ballpark figure is around 1.4 to 1.6 for most endurance athletes. Now some will be different than that, but that's a really good place to start and see how you find it. Uh, can you handle that volume of protein? Can you handle the, the reduction potentially in, in your other calories? So maybe you have to reduce your carbohydrate and your fat intake just a little bit to enable the protein levels. Um, and are you able to, to eat it all in food is the other question. So there's a lot of protein supplements on the market as well. Um, and we could talk about protein supplements for about five continuous weeks straight on the podcast. Uh, the general rule of thumb is there's two types. You've got a whey protein and you've got a vegetarian protein. Whey proteins tend to be a bit better absorbed. Uh, therefore, they're going to give you a potentially increase in, in muscle protein quicker. However, vegetarian protein, so tends to be pea and rice um, at the moment, are being shown to be almost as effective at, at replacing muscle proteins and, and stimulating muscle growth. So to save me rambling on for too much longer around supplements, a general rule of thumb that I would use is to, if you need to use a supplement to get that extra protein and use it for one or two scoops a day. So you're looking at between 25 and 50 grams of protein coming from a supplement per day. Um, you might want to try a whey protein to start with if that doesn't agree with your stomach um, or it doesn't agree with everybody, um, jump to a vegetarian. Um, I personally prefer vegetarian. I find they make me a bit fuller, um, but also it's a lot more gentler on the system uh, so you don't get any, any bloating or, or gas caused from it. And a good place to pop along to is nutritiondata.self.com. And that's a really good website for throwing in a whole bunch of different foods and different amounts of that food and working out the protein levels. So you can throw in, for example, 100 grams of roast chicken. Uh, it's gonna give you about 30 grams of protein. So therefore you know when you're preparing your meals roughly what you're gonna need. Uh, another option is to use 
the likes of MyFitnessPal, which is an app where you can scan barcodes of food and you can enter in different amounts. Um, and that's going to give you a rough indication too of how much protein you're getting on a daily basis. So hopefully that's starting to, to build a bit of a picture as to how we can break down these macronutrients and look at what we're eating on a daily or weekly basis and make sure we're getting uh, adequate amounts. Um, so just to recap, like I said, endurance athletes could range from 1.2 to, to 2 grams of protein per day. I suggest 1.4 to 1.6 to be kind of an optimal range for most people. Uh, bearing in mind there will be some individual differences there. And if you're a strength-based athlete, which I'm not sure how many of them are listening to an endurance sport podcast, but you'd be looking in that kind of 1.4 to 2.2. And people that are looking to actually put on muscle mass, which I didn't mention before, you're really looking at more than 2 grams per kg per body weight per day, uh, which is starting to get a lot of protein. But as per usual, if you have any questions, let us know. Uh, if you also want some advice on various forms of protein, uh, drop us an email and we'll do our best to help you out. Have a good week. So there we go team, I hope you are now schooled up on protein and that helps you with how you are consuming your protein and, and what you're actually doing. Like Nick said, if you have any questions, feel free to fire them through and we will do our best to answer them. What I wanted to jump into now is tapering and it's, it's that time of year, at least in the southern hemisphere down here in New Zealand, when people are starting to get close to their key race day. Now, when you're leaning into a race, you should taper. Now, hopefully most people uh, are, are aware of that. And what is a taper? It is simply a decrease in your training load to allow your body to freshen up. Obviously, we train to develop fitness. And fitness is great, and you want to be as fit as possible on race day. But on race day, you also want to be as fresh as possible. So the aim of a taper is to allow that to occur. Allow that fitness to be as high as possible, while freshness is still as high as possible as well. When you are fit and when you are fresh, you were in your ideal performance state. So if you are a user of Training Peaks and you have a look at your, your performance management chart, you'll be able to see the blue line, chronic training load. So ideally on race day, we want chronic training load to be as high as possible. Now, as soon as you start decreasing your training load, your blue line or chronic training load is gonna to start to plateau and then eventually start to go down. A lot of people freak out about that because they feel that they're losing fitness. Oh, I can't lose any fitness. I need to go and smash in some more training. Well, the thing is, is we want our yellow line on training peaks, if you're looking at your performance management chart, we want that to come up. And we want that to be above zero, somewhere around plus 10 to plus 15, or at least trending in that direction. And this here will increase faster than your fitness decreases. So fitness decreases quite slowly in comparison to fatigue. So what we want to do is decrease our fatigue, and we want to increase our to increase our freshness while maintaining our fitness. And the way we do that in a taper 
is by decreasing the duration of your training, so how long you train, but maintaining the intensity. Now, how long should you taper for? I don't want to get too caught up in the, the science around tapering today, but I can do if people request it. But how long should you taper for? Well, it depends on the length of your race. The longer the race and the more important your race is to you, the longer you should taper. So for a long endurance event, you're looking at potentially around 14 to 15 days, so a couple of weeks. Whereas if you've got a shorter, high intensity race, then you can shorten that up to a week or seven days. So it really does depend on the event itself, and we could dig into that a little bit more if people wanted. So what you want to do start starting off is you want to decrease the duration of your training, so you're training less, but maintaining the intensity, so you're still training relatively hard. This helps maintain all of the anaerobic adaptations and the neuromuscular adaptations that are required to give you uh, a high-performing race speed, so to speak. And then as you get closer to the race, that duration wants to decrease even more and also your intensity starts to drop off as well. So that you are standing on the start line fresh, but also fit because we've maintained that fitness. Now I have been getting uh, a massive amount of emails over the last couple of days about people saying, Oh, this taper is driving me crazy. I hate tapering. I feel like I should be doing more. I want to be doing more. I'm just going to go out and do more. And this is very common. This is very common, especially in athletes that are new to endurance racing. Or, again, have gotten into endurance racing from a weight loss background where the focus is all about more, 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 more. Whereas if you talk to a seasoned endurance athlete, they will be looking forward to their taper. They can't wait for their taper to, to kick in so that they can take some time off and let their body recover. And as soon as I, I think as soon as you know what you're trying to achieve in your taper, it means taking that recovery time is a lot easier. And there's a wee saying, which I kind of like, and is that, and that's all that you can do in your taper is too much. So all you can do is you can do too much, which pretty much says don't do anything. I like the saying because it really emphasizes that you need the recovery. But in essence, it's not actually about doing nothing. So what should you be doing? Or I guess another question is why should you be doing anything if recovery is so important? So we want to keep some level of training in there and we really want to focus on that intensity to maintain one, that neuromuscular activation. So we want to maintain the muscles and the nerves that fire those muscles moving in the correct sequence so that on race day, those movement patterns or that muscle memory is nice and smooth and efficient.
we want to maintain that sharpness or that race readiness or beat off any sluggishness. You probably felt this yourself. If you haven't trained for a few days and then you jump back into a session, you probably feel quite sluggish. Your legs don't quite work the same. You're just not quite there. And that is often because you have been your body is so used to regular physical movement, regular training, that when you stop, it is actually what it is actually foreign for your body not to be moving in those movement patterns anymore. So everything starts to stiffen up. And when you start to get back into it, those neuromuscular pathways, that muscle memory isn't quite as sharp as it used to be. So by keeping some training load in there, it allows us to maintain that freshness, that sharpness, that spring in our step, so to speak. Often over a taper, people can start to get sick. Why is this? Well, often over a taper, stress can be quite high. And we've talked about stress in previous podcasts. But what happens is, sure, your training load might be decreased, but all of this stuff that you've got to get done before race day suddenly shoots through the roof. You've got all your gear prep. You've got to get everything squared away at work before you take the long weekend off. You've got to get everything sorted at home before you take the long weekend off. You've got to get your bike service. You've got to get all your kit together. You've got to find those last-minute nutrition products that you had planned to get weeks ago, but it fell through because you're too busy training. All of this stuff adds stress. And when we are stressed, our body produces cortisol, which suppresses our immune system. With the suppression in our immune system, we open ourselves up to illness. So over your taper, it's really, really important that you try and decrease your overall stress load so that you don't open yourself up to that illness and injury. A lot of people find they get quite stiff when they taper. They find everything starts to tighten up. They feel achy. And again, this is because our body is used to going through standard movement patterns on a regular basis with our training. So as soon as we start to as soon as we stop doing that regular training from our taper, because we've decreased the training load, then we start to stiffen up. So over your taper period, as your training load decreases, you really wanna focus on stretching and rolling to maintain that movement to keep those tissues loose and to keep everything moving well. And that's really important as well, why you wouldn't just stop training for a taper. You still maintain some degree of training all the way through and especially the day before race day so that your body is moving well it's ready to go it knows what to expect it's not just to turn the tap off and then expect to turn the tap on full noise on race day it won't like it one little bit so for those athletes who have got a big race coming up 
and you haven't even thought about a taper yet, make sure you start thinking about tapering your training for your race. Or if you've outsourced that thinking to a coach, make sure you think about why your coach is getting you to taper. And think about it and enjoy it and embrace it rather than getting all negative around about how you should how you feel that you should be doing more training. Because you shouldn't be doing more training during your taper. You should be doing less. You should be getting more rest. You are fit. It's not like an exam where you can make up for lost time. If you haven't done the training already, it's too late. It's too late. You can't cram in training leading into a race during your taper period. All you're going to end up doing is overcooking the turkey. And it's a lot better to have an undercooked turkey on the start line but being fresh than going in completely overcooked. Because when that gun goes, all that starting hooter blows, that's where fitness meets freshness. And freshness is one of the most important things if you want to perform at a high level. So make sure you get that rest. You maintain that training intensity while balancing it with that recovery time. Take care of your nutrition and your hydration. Get some extra sleep. Decrease that rest and get ready for that starting gun to go so you're going to lock yourself in the hurt box and push yourself beyond what you could ever imagine. If you've got any more questions about tapering, feel free to send them in be happy to dig into it a little deeper just remember send those questions in via voice message i'd love to get those on the podcast to share with everybody out there if you've got more specific questions that you want me to answer but you don't don't want them answered in the public forum of this podcast or a blog post or a video send me a reach me request a reach me request will be responded to by me either via text response on the computer and email or a short video for a small fee that just helps cover my time. It's a very cost effective way of getting specific advice from me so you can get quality information to help you towards your goals. So if you've got any questions, either A, for the podcast, or B, more specifically for you, not on the public forum, feel free to contact me. Otherwise, until next week, get out there and train hard. Be the bumblebee, train hard, even if you're not designed to fly. But remember, train smart. I'll talk to you next week. 